everybody, welcome to episode 102 of Literary Disco, Kindred. During our 100th episode, I talked about reading Octavia E. Butler's sci-fi classic, Kindred, and it turns out there is a brand new graphic novel adaptation. So, for today's episode, we will be discussing this version of Kindred, adapted by Damian Duffy and illustrated by John Jennings. I am actor and filmmaker Ryder Strong. Joining me, as always, are essayist and radio personality Julia Pistel and novelist and critic Todd Goldberg. Hello. Hi, guys. Hey, welcome back. Ryder, um, yeah. are you bleeding right now by any chance? Yes, I am. <laughs> <laughs> what? Uh, yeah, I, am, what? I, I think I've staunched what the happened? bleeding, but uh, I am in pain. I just sliced my thumb open trying to cut myself a slice of toast. Mm. So um, this toast is. So was this a was this? Are you trying to get bread? me to talk about baking bread? Yes, I'm. I'm I, baking bread. That is my new <laughs> New Year's thing. <laughs> And it's because I'm bread obsessed, because there's nothing better than like a good sourdough loaf of bread, and uh, I'm sick of buying one every like three weeks and eating it within like an hour. I'd mm. rather just like to have bread in the house that I've made. Um, that would be the dream if it could taste as good as my favorite sourdoughs. So I'm, I'm learning the art of baking bread. And it's, it's a good writing thing too, because bread baking is actually, it doesn't take that long. It I mean, in spurts, like at a time. You're only working like five to ten minutes at a time, mixing something up. But then there's lots of like waiting and downtime. So it's a really great activity to, you know, make a pre-ferment and then wait 12 hours. And then you have to go back. And it's like a marathon, not a sprint, just like writing is. So it's a good writing. I, uh... You're looking at me with such disdain and contempt, Todd. Is it, <laughs> what, what is it? What is it about Yeah, I, is this... I... I don't have I have no contempt for this. Like I'm a supporter of your hobbies and I like bread. I am actually really looking forward to the Food Network show where I get to be like a periodic guest where like you're going around the country baking bread with artisan bread okay. makers and then I show up and I'm like, "Can't you just buy this in a store?" Okay. Well, I can't believe you're even pretending to have judgmental bitchy disdain because immediately before we started recording, I walked away for a second and I came back to hear you and Ryder getting heated about what kinds of sourdough were the best. So step off. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, I'm not saying I don't like to eat to it. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Yeah. Are right. you going and to And become... I can't cook. Like, I'm not a cook person. Like, I can't cook anything. And so I, I realized, like, well, there, the best way to learn how to cook is to focus on the things you like. And unfortunately, the thing I like is the most is, like, a really good sourdough bread, which apparently is very hard to pull. Yeah. Right. So I'm in, the process, I'm in the beginning stages of learning how to do it. I have a sourdough starter that I'm, like, leaving on a shelf in my house, and every two days I take it down and I feed it and mix it up and throw stuff away and I'm like waiting for the bacteria to grow until it's like a good sourdough. Yeah, it's the whole process. Yeah. I didn't know how involved bread baking is, but it's very involved. It sounds and fun. It's actually a good uh, self-discipline exercise for me. Yeah. Yeah. So just so I'm clear here, you're growing bacteria in this house where you're raising your child. Yeah. Wow. And at, at any point, yes. your son could get into the bacteria and become what? Would he become sickened by the bacteria? No, it's sourdough. It's a sourdough he would starter. Eat bread. Like it's the worst it's a, thing that like, would happen is he'd bread eat bread from, a, from yeast, flour, and water, and it grows and it ferments and 
you know, it creates a flavor based on the sort of atmosphere. Like, you know, it has to has to live for a while. Yeah. Are you one of those people who believes that uh, that gluten free is a myth? Completely myth. Yes. <laughs> eat gluten. Unless you have celiac disease, eat gluten. For Christ's sake, people. Oh, it's the most not I can't believe that of all the diet fads, that one swept in. And like now all these, everything has to say gluten free. It's like, no shit. Like, I, yeah, it's ridiculous. Like, it, I was know, just noticing my, my tea bag said gluten free on it. And I was I like, shocked. Oh, well. it's ridiculous. Yeah. Well, at, uh, at my MFA residency, we, you know, we have this full spread of food every day for breakfast and lunch. And there's, you know, there's like five people in the program that have celiac disease or, or, or gluten-free. So we have to have everything marked off. And then it'll be like, it'll be like uh, roast beef, and they'll say gluten-free. I'll be like, what? <laughs> do we need to tell people roast beef is gluten-free? Don't well, people know? if it has breading or certain gravy, then it isn't gluten-free. Oh, God. Hmm. Yeah, the gluten thing, and then what's well, the just... other one? The paleo diet. The paleo diet. I'm waiting for, like, what's the next thing going to be? What's the next big wave of, of food fad, diet fad? I don't shit. I don't shit anymore. I don't eat any food that makes me shit. <laughs> but, I mean, both of those, all the latest fads are centered around a fact, which is sugar and too much sugar and bread is really bad for you. So you can right. cut it a hundred ways, but eating less bread and sugar, you're going to lose weight. Or just caring about what you eat, right? Like, the reality yeah, is right. most diets are just people finally paying attention to what they're putting into their bodies, and then they feel better because it's a self-serving cycle. Like, it feels good to plan what you're going to eat, eat it, and, you know, I don't know. Like, so I, I feel like people that often go gluten-free feel better because, yeah, they, you know, they're finally focusing on what they're eating as opposed to the American. Like, I think the default American approach to eating is so bad. That anything is an improvement. <laughs> like we just eat whatever we want, whenever we feel like, wherever, whatever. You know, it's like so people become a vegetarian and they get healthier. It's mostly because they're just focusing on what they're eating and thinking about it. Anyway, that has nothing to do with books. And we we should note also to our <laughs> listeners that none of us are physicians, and so don't actually take what we've said as medical advice. Yeah. Also, I'm fat. Todd eats like garbage, and Ryder's a hipster. So. <laughs> I do not eat like garbage. I eat a lot of garbage. <laughs> just eats yeah. I had yogurt today. We're not like the three fittest people who have ever lived. No. no, no. We're not. That's, that's but most point. book readers aren't, are they? True. No. No. So what's this book you had us read? What is this? Oh. Well, okay, so I talked about Kindred on our 100th episode, and it blew me away as a really um, uh, interesting sci-fi, uh, an interesting, it's a, a pretty basic sci-fi idea, actually, but because of the politics involved, it becomes way more potent. Um, Octavia Butler was a black woman. Uh, if you haven't listened to our Dawn episode, we talked about her novel Dawn, um, which was wonderful and involved aliens. And at the time, I remember Julia commenting on how much this book made her think about slavery, which was a theme that ran throughout Octavia Butler's uh, work, even when it was incredibly theoretical and didn't have much to do with slavery. 
And Kindred deals with that directly by having a main character who is time traveling back to the antebellum South. And uh, because she is a black woman time traveling from 1976 back to uh, 1815, uh, she is uh, considered a slave in the past. And um, we can get into the, the details of her time travel and, and who she's visiting when she's time traveling because all that is what makes this book, I think, so fascinating. Um, but I, re- I had read the novel and discussed it as a great Christmas gift in the age of Trump because it is a very political book without um, sacrificing story or an exciting plot. and um, But it also raises so many issues of... Um, uh, blackness in America, the history of being black in America, and um, what I said in, in the, on that episode is how it um, embodies in the sense that it, by this woman being physically zapped back in time and what is what happens to her body, um, I thought it was an incredible companion piece in a way to ta Coates' book, Between the World and Me which um, he talks a lot yeah. about bringing, bringing back um, the awareness of uh, black bodies, physical human existence, uh, when we think about American history and the subjugation of uh, black people in our country. Um, so this graphic novel adaptation, uh, Julia, you brought it up because you found this, I guess, when, we were, when I discussed Kindred, and uh, it's brand new. And, Very um, brand new. Obviously, Kindred is getting some renewed attention, so we thought we would read, read it. Um, and, or, and appreciate this version of Kindred. What'd you guys think? Uh, I loved it. I thought it was amazing. And I, I have big questions about how it's different from the book because obviously um, the graphic novel, it's you know it's 245 page graphic novel, but it just goes essentially scene to scene to scene and leaves out um, months of stuff. And I didn't know if in the book the months of activity are actually carried out in um in the book itself and i have i have big questions about how some of the other things are handled like the actual time travel itself is handled but the story is amazing and the art is awesome unbelievable art um, unbelievable and i felt uh i felt sad and i felt um angry and i felt interested and entertained and amazed all at the same time and all of my normal questions about sort of time travel books disappeared. It didn't really matter to me. And in that way, it was almost like the experience of watching a time travel movie where um, mm-hmm. I was just like, all right, yeah, Kate and Leopold. Yeah, he jumps off the bridge and he's he gets to see Kate in New York City. I, I just picked a really bad time travel example, by the way. <laughs> that's the um, one. It's like romantic that's, comedy that's the with epic time. slight time travel thing going on. All right. Right when Harry met Sally in, in space time <laughs> continuum, um, but I, you know, all of my sort of big questions drifted away, and I was really able to focus exactly what you said, Ryder, on the actual human body because what I think the artist does particularly well here is show violence mm. um, in a really visceral um, skin level way, which I, um, which I found upsetting, but also super compelling. So I, I absolutely loved it. Yeah. Wow. I mean, that covers a lot of it. Um, Let's talk about the time travel and the mechanism by which the time travel happens. I mean, so in case people don't listen to the other episode, we should go over basically what the book is about. It's about a woman who is moving in with her husband into 
a new apartment and she just all of a sudden like feels faint and then a, a black woman moving to an apartment with a white man right support. correct Pardon. thank you um and she is zapped just for like a minute into a situation where she's saving a little boy's life she saves him she has a gun pointed in her head she gets zapped back um so there's not the i think the time travel works because it's very simple like both timelines are just moving forward um, and she's just jumping back into the past, but she doesn't know when, and for a short time, she doesn't know how. But it turns out, and I would love to hear what you guys think about this, that the only way that she can travel is through extreme fear, either right. hers or the boys who is basically pulling her into the past. Um, so it's incredible because it doesn't have that kind of sci-fi vibe where it's like oh you have to get to a place or a vehicle or like do some witchy magic you just essentially have to be afraid that you're about to die and then you will move through time um, the, the amazing thing with um dana the main character is that like she has to actually feel like she's about to die and because of her time in the in the past where she's a slave the um the level at which she is going to die changes mm -hmm. so her initial fears of dying um is like you know a, a, yeah, all it takes is a gun being pointed yeah is a gun being pointed at her face because she's so scared but as it goes on she can be beaten within an inch of her life and still stay in the past because of the right. like the systematic oppression becomes just part of that life which is right. you know, her the, resilience be, right, keeps her there Right. It's amazing. Like, that is such a brilliant, extended, metaphorical way to draw out, like, how much people are willing to put up with whatever horrible economic situation they found themselves in, you know, where they're completely powerless and subjugated. You will put up with more. I mean, that's it. It's, it shows her resilience growing accustomed to slavery, which is right. so horrifying um, in its own way. And, and unwilling to leave, essentially, because she's grown attached to people there. So, therefore, right. she accepts more horrible things happening to her because of her love for other people. Therefore, right. the, that level of fear, like, it, it shifts up. Like, the, what, yep. what you think will actually kill you versus what you need to survive to be a part of. Like, that's a, it's a really elegant thing Octavia Butler does. It's pretty amazing. Yeah. And the other thing we should point out, this isn't giving too much away because I think this is revealed in the first 20 pages or so, is that the little boy, the, it's a white little boy that she goes back to save in 1815. And, and she, whenever he is close to death or afraid of death, she, uh, ha, she gets pulled back into the past to save him. It turns out she figures out that he is her great-great-great-grandfather, either great-great or great-great-great-grandfather. And so her existence becomes dependent on saving this little white boy who is a the son of a plantation owner and owns slaves and of course is you know very much a product of his time so she has this incredibly complicated relationship with him and and that's really the only logical explanation we get for the time travel is that her own existence depends upon keeping this white guy alive in the past right. as much as she hates him and hates the way he treats black people and her own relatives because she also of course then ends up meeting her own great great great-grandmother too um she's in this complicated like tug and pull with him and that like i said in the last episode is becomes for me like 
the perfect way to describe how we all can feel about our relationship to America's past, which is mm. how many how many things are our own existence built on? You know, how many despicable acts are is our own comfort built upon? You know, whether mm-hmm. it's the genocide of the Native Americans or the you know complete subjugation of African peoples or Asian labor in California. I mean, there's so many horrific examples throughout history that we are standing on the shoulders of horrific people. And, right. um, you know, whether we're white or black or whatever, we have a dependency on that history um, that in this book becomes uh, physical and uh, real in a way that I just, I, I can't, I mean, every time I think about it, I'm like that, how do you come up with a story that does that so well and so mm-hmm. viscerally um, and so entertainingly with so much entertainment, I guess. Um, I, I love it. Um, I do think the novel is better than the graphic novel though. Well, I, let me ask you a question though, uh, before you get to that. Yeah. And something I noticed here is, and similar to Dawn, which is that even with all that stuff you just mentioned, Octavia Butler still has a really light touch in places. Like where she'll inject yep. inexplicably a bit of humor. Is that in the book as well, in the novel, where she'll have some sort of interior thought? Like More in the novel. Interesting. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And I think that's kind of what I like more. Is that the, I mean, this is a tough one to adapt, actually. I'm surprised that they did it. And, and they do it very well. They actually are 100% faithful story-wise. I don't think they changed a single aspect of the plot. Mm. Um, it's just in a novel you you have more time, right? And in a novel there's a lot of text in this graphic novel. Like compared to other graphic novels we've read, there's a lot of dialogue, um, and the dialogue is lifted a, almost as far as I can tell 100 percent from the book. Um, so it's it's I think you're right, Todd, to point that the the violence becomes the the most effective part of the graphic novel because that's where the artist was allowed to spread open the panels and have like full pages of like a whipping scene which is just horrific to read and 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 watch um and i think that those things uh are really effective but the the a lot of this book is like two people in a room talking and graphically that's not as interesting and i found myself rushing through those sections in the graphic novel in a way that I didn't with the novel. Uh, I couldn't with the novel because you, you know, you, you can't just glance at the page and know that these, t- you know, and, and obviously it's because I had read the novel and I'm sure that that played a, a big part of it. But I also think that there's something too, like you're saying the interiority, like the novel is told first person mm. and um, that helps a lot, I think, because the experience of like, dizziness and nausea and and the physical stuff that's happened to dana is described first person and um Mm -hmm. that you know that's just a different part of your brain when you're reading that in a book versus looking at it on in a in a graphic novel um and i missed some of that interiority i really missed you know ruminating on slavery and what it's like to be in the plantation from dana's pov Mm. um i missed I miss living in that a little bit longer and letting it breathe a little bit. This is just like the bare bones of the plot. You know, it's like, then we went over here and then I met this person and then this person married this person, you know, whereas the book, you know, there was just more room. Right. Um, Although I think the art seemed more real. Having, having not read the novel, I think the art for me filled in a lot of those blank spaces, but there's also this thing that they do that essentially has the function of voiceover. Um, yeah. These sort of narrative uh, things that they put at the bottom of the top of a panel that fills in some of the gaps. And I found that a little bit annoying. 
because I knew, oh, we've just missed 20 pages of narrative yeah. or something, you know? I mean, I think... Yes, right. <laughs> I, I don't want to give away anything, so I'm going to go carefully here. But there's characters uh, in both timelines that get separated. And... I just thought that was such an incredible plot device. Um, and I felt exactly what you're saying. Like, if there's points where there's just dread and waiting and wondering and time is passing and, uh, you know, this is a huge plot point, um, it was kind of like, okay, I waited, I waited, I waited. Okay, I went back. Um, and I definitely felt that, you know, how do you communicate long waiting and the horror of that uh, mm-hmm. in a graphic novel. I think that it didn't fail, but I, I definitely felt like, okay, this could have used like 10 blank pages uh, right. or some, some device like yes, that. Exactly. The pacing is harder to get. Yeah, across. exactly. That's exactly right. Yeah. And I think, and I think that that plays into, you know, when you have a high concept like time travel, um, it can so easily become hokey and, I think with a graphic novel, it's it started to feel more action, mm-hmm. plotty, cartoony, you know. Whereas in the novel, it is so real, like the, the, the you know the sense of like, and and that's the value of when you're reading a novel, your own imagination gets to fill in all the gaps and make it more realistic for you. So tonally, it's it's your movie in your head. Whereas on the page, as a graphic novel. I couldn't help but feel like, oh, I'm outside of this experience to a certain extent. It it, it may look good. Like, I love the color palette in particular, yeah. the way that they use colors, differing from chapter to chapter and from time period to time period. I thought that was beautiful. But I, I, I didn't get the same level of realism that I did reading the novel, where it was yeah. like, okay, I, I can buy in on the time travel thing, but then I'm like, I'm really on a plantation. Right. And this is what it really smells like. And this, is, whereas in a graphic novel, it's like I'm I'm along for the ride, but I'm not like living the experience as realistically, which is kind of essential to this piece, I think. Um, so I, I don't know. I mean, I, I guess if you're short on time, yes, read the graphic novel. But if you're interested in this story and 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 living in this world a little bit, I would highly recommend because the novel's not long and it's not a slog by any means. But I would recommend just pacing wise and using your own imagination wise, the novel is pretty good. I think both. I mean, I Ryder, you're having that like classic experience where you like just read this thing that you were, you know, right. freaking out how much you liked totally. it. Like for this, I I read the first chapter of the novel. I had time to do that, and it was super good. Um, but this is art, mm-hmm. you know. This is the individual panels. I just yeah, have right. open a page where one character is beating Rufus, and it's just incredible. I mean, like these are these are panels that you could see in a museum. And I think the, uh, the illustrator, the artist does such an incredible job of aging the characters mm-hmm. who age, who take these huge leaps in age. I mean, you never doubt that this like three-year-old boy is the same as this 20-year-old boy. Right. Um, and just that creative work is impressive on its own. Um, I, I was thinking that have, I bought the book. I haven't read the novel yet. Um, but it would seem like, just from reading the graphic novel, that the graphic novel makes for an easier adaptation than a two-hour movie might. Hmm. Um, for things like on page 119 of the graphic novel, where Dana has come back 
and she's walking towards the plantation house and it's this great full page panel of her walking to this house in the distance where the text says the sun was setting and the walk was longer than i thought i left pages for my scratch pad to mark my path through the woods until i reached a road i followed the road until it was dark i hid from two white riders i bid three black women walking with large bundles on their head good evening finally after more woods and fields home at last and then she says what and like this picture that's been drawn you feel both the nostalgia for this place and the abject fear all at one time just in this one drawing yeah. that has been done yeah and i think that's a really effective thing that i think would be difficult to convey in a film actually that sense of both fear and nostalgia at the same time well yeah. that's why i think it should be a miniseries it needs to be at least six episodes mm. long yeah that makes sense hey let me ask you a question so in the novel um how do they handle in present day which in present day in the book is the 1970s how do they handle them being gone like from their friends <laughs> like do, do the friends are the friends like hey where's kevin yeah they're but it's i mean they're with, not gone for that they're not gone for there is that only that one period where they're home together yeah. for several months and that's right. breezed through pretty quickly. I think there is, I'm trying to remember, I think there is a, a friend character um, that she talks to Who brings uh, her the more groceries. extensively in the novel. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah, but I think that relationship is a little longer and more extensive in the, um, in the novel, but I don't know, it doesn't, I don't remember it being any different. Like, it wasn't like, because the point is they're disappearing for seconds at a time, even though they're living years of their life in the past. When they come back... It's more the the more developed part is the relationship she has with the other slaves, um, and they're all in mm -hmm. here like they're all the same characters. There's just more time spent with them on the page. You know, there's just like she her teaching yeah. Nigel to read takes up more of the book. It's a novel, you know, and so you spend mm -hmm. more time with those characters and the complexity. But what I liked about the graphic novels, they didn't shy away from any of that. Like one of those most interesting parts of the um, the, the novel is when. She talks about the um, the woman, I believe her name is Carrie, who like runs the cookhouse. And mm -hmm. she criticizes her for being a sort of uh, a, appealing slave or a, a master appeasing slave. Or, you know, she says, like, mm -hmm. in the radical 60s, we would hate women like this. We would hate, you know, people that accept slavery or or make apologies for their. But in her own time period, I could see her point of view. And it was, and it was it's an interesting, like. Oh, right. Like, it's not all, like, every slave is, you know, exactly reacting the way you would react to slavery. You know, right. that there's nuances within these right. responses. And that, of course, we're talking about human beings subjugating other human beings. And there's going to be a whole right. spectrum of, of responses and, 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 and um, ways to fight for, for freedom or ways to uh, maintain your, your own dignity and humanity in light of this atrocity and the fact that she was able to like sort of see that nuance and, and see that through the there's a lot more of that in the novel and 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 mm -hmm. to its credit and i like the graphic novel kept kept some of that and and all those situations are there it, just in the novel you live with it longer like her and alice's relationship which ends up going by rather quickly in the graphic novel is a huge part like of the of the book because it's like you know her and alice and rufus the white boy that is her great great grandfather you know, they have this weird relationship between the three of them because they're all physically related. Alice and Rufus know that, but don't really understand it the same way that Dana does. 
and um, it's twisted. You know, I mean, she ends up pimping out Alice to her great grandfather to ensure her own existence, yeah. and she's like, she knows that yeah, she's so, essentially it's a really raping. strange, it's horrible. Thing. Yeah. It's and yet it kind of makes sense in this, the way the novel structured. Oh, it's so good. And it harkens back to things she talked about in Dawn, too. Like, you yep. can you can see... It's always interesting to read two books by the same author in Not Too Far Apart. You can see the obsessions. Yep. Mm-hmm. And her obsession with, um, with the human body um, and with procreation and with sex and with rape um, and what it and all freedom. means to yeah, create... And, right, right. Um, not, yeah, not to create a, a living creature out of violence. Yes. Right. But to create a living creature out of violence is is a you know she's clearly that's clearly a thing that she um, has a great understanding of and a great interest in and it's it never stops being a difficult thing to comprehend. Um, I mean, it's so difficult to comprehend that there are people who uh, are actively uh, politicking against your ability to make that choice. So <laughs> there's that. Uh, <laughs> it- I mean, I think that she is so... What I love about both of her works that we've read is she's just so unapologetic about forcing you as a reader to look at violence and think about violence. And I think, uh, you know, with this book, she is exactly replicating the experience of reading and empathy of saying like I'm going to rip you from your world I'm going to put you in another world and I'm going to lock you here and force you to understand which is both deep empathy and also very aggressive Um, so it is such an incredible she obviously has a deep intellectual understanding of like how empathy and compassion work, but how that they can be forced and uncomfortable and so violent at yeah. times. I mean, and by the end of the book or the graphic novel in this case, um, I, I won't, we won't spoil it, but there's a moment between Dana and Rufus at the end of this book where you are asked to question every choice each person has made with each other in respect to their own ability to live. And, it's, I mean, it's a, it's a super powerful moment, and it's drawn really well. Um, but you know, I think, I think the the thing about this book that I found really compelling, sitting and reading it today, um, or actually this week, is the not just the timeliness of it, but the enduring timeliness of it. That this is a book that would have been important to read today. It would have been important to read five years ago. 10 years ago, 15 years ago, 20 years ago, because people, I think, forget that bad things happen here and that history is not that far away. And this this book, um, it touches on the tendril of history through time. Like you are not that far removed from the horrible choices other people have made for you. (laughs) And um, and you can't go back in time and fix shit, but you can act a certain way today. And I, you know, I think that's, I think that's a powerful message. Yeah. Great. Wow. Well, I think we, I think we did it. We're all, we're all <laughs> we thumbs up stop. on Kindred in all forms. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. yeah, and absolutely beautiful. If you're if you're interested in getting this book, don't get the ebook. Get the big hardback book, and yeah. have it on your shelf. Just the cover is is really beautiful. I'm I'm holding it up for. Ryder and Julia, as they they don't have the book, but the cover art <laughs> itself is just 
pretty amazing. It's just a beautiful piece of art and um, a great piece of literature. Um, but- and a really good, this is, Ryder already said this a couple episodes ago, I think, but if you are interested in social justice issues or the black experience, this is a great way in. Mm-hmm. This is... Totally. This is a great starting point if you're like, I need to get better on this stuff. Where do I start? Start with this really entertaining, yet really, really well thought out graphic novel. Yes, I agree.